1: Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hello there, I am Matt Harris. I'm here with Seton Tucker. Grateful, so grateful that you're listening to our podcast. It means a lot. Check out our Facebook page, Murdoch Podcast, and go to murdochpodcast.com when you get a chance, and when it's all said and done, if you would... Give us a nice five-star rating. Much appreciated. Plus, share it. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than things we've been doing over this past almost a year. Not a lot happening in the Murdoch case, per se. So we're going to talk about a case of a couple that went missing from Hilton Head, South Carolina in March of 08. The suspect, in their disappearance, died by suicide, left a note with no mention of murdering the couple. The bodies have never been found. And... You're saying, hey, Matt, Seton, what does this have to do with Murdoch murders? Well, we're not implying that this case is anyway tied criminally to that. However, they're connected through a few things. First, geography. There are some names that will come up that you go like, oh, yeah, I heard that in previous episodes. Uh, the sheriff's department that's involved was part of the Mallory Beach investigation. There's also missing funds, which, of course, is a big part of the Murdoch thing and the biggie. Seton, you went to high school in Hilton Head. And uh, you know, people know the Calverts and knew the alleged murderer, and you know all the places that are mentioned in the investigation because you ran in those circles down there and caused trouble. Um, I just added that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hilton Head. Let me give you a little background on that for those, especially not in the area. It's part of the Low Country of South Carolina, just like Hampton, which is the home of the Murdock family. Hilton Head's about seventy miles from Hampton, Beaufort County which is one of the four counties overseen by the Murdoch dynasty for 80 plus years where they were solicitors. Hilton Head population around 40,000 during the summer. It goes up to about 150,000 because it's a big beach vacation location, especially with people from Ohio. They always make fun of the fact that the Ohioans are coming. Uh, The median income in Hilton Head for a family, a bit over 85,000. Hampton, whose family median income is about half that, about 41,000, so geographically close, kind of a world's away in some ways, and we're giving you all that information so you get an idea of the area we're talking about compared to the one you've been hearing about during all the other episodes in this podcast. Now, not a lot of crime in Hilton Head, and and certainly prominent members of the community don't vanish, but in March of 08, that is what happened to John and Liz Calvert-Seaton. Let's get this started by talking about the Calverts. Tell us about them.
0: So, Liz Calvert grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and after that, she attended college at Converse College, which is an all-women's school in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is also where I attended school at Wofford College. She was a lifelong supporter of Converse, and she eventually became a trustee. After college, she went to law school at UGA in 1987. Upon graduating law school, she went to work for UPS in Atlanta and worked her way through the system, and eventually became president of the legal department. In 1997, she left UPS to join a Savannah, Georgia law firm. Liz was described as having a strong commitment to public service. Um, In the book, Deceit, Disappearance, and Death, uh, one of her husband John's fraternity members described Liz as having a quick wit, but she was not going to be the life of the party. Um, And I kind of thought this was cool. Her husband John bought her flying lessons as a present. He was into buying her different stuff, and I'm a big fan of buying things other than uh, gifts. It's fun to get experiences. Uh, She enjoyed that and actually earned her pilot's license in 2006 and bought a plane.
1: Which will come into play a little bit later on in the episode.
0: So John Calvert grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he graduated from Georgia Tech in 1983 with a degree in mechanical engineering. He loved his yellow jackets, and he actually named his boat the Yellow Jacket. So living on a boat was right up his alley.
1: Which they did in Hilton Head, and we'll talk more about it in a minute.
0: Yes. And actually, John proposed to Liz while they were on vacation in Hilton Head, and they were married in 1998. Um, After they were married, they resided in Atlanta, Georgia, and John took a semi-retirement in 2001, and they purchased businesses in Hilton Head in 2005, and that's when he went to go live in the yacht in Harbortown Marina. Um, and Liz and John kind of split their time between Atlanta and Harbortown. At the time of their disappearances, John was 47 and Liz was 45.
1: I want to, uh, before we go in too deep, I'm saying that because it's the name of the, the one of the TV shows we watch, I want to right away give some credit to the places we found information about this case. You mentioned it a minute ago, deceit. Disappearance and Death on Hilton Head Island by Charlie Ryan with Pamela Martin Ovens. We got a lot from that. The Island Packet, they were really digging in. The two reporters that were on this story big time were the Island Packet reporters, Tim Donnelly and Daniel Brownstein. And I reached out to both of them. They were like, that was a long time ago. We've done a lot of reporting since then, so not fresh in our minds. But I do want to give them... Uh, credit. Uh, also watched a TV show that did an episode on this called Hometown Homicide in 2020. They did an episode called In Too Deep. You can get it on Amazon Prime if you're interested. We got that in the book and Isle Packet, and, and some other newspapers as well. And of course, you've talked to some people who live down there. So before we go any further, I want to make sure you keep these names in your head as we go through the missing couple John and Liz Calvert. John and Liz Calvert. The name, Dennis Gerwing. You have to remember, Dennis Gerwing was their accountant. which involved big in the story. So John and Liz Calvert and Dennis Gerwing, the accountant. Those are the names you need to know. Now, let's get into, at this point, uh, now that we know all about the Calverts who go missing, it starts with the morning of March 4th. People start to wonder... Uh, where the Calverts are. They don't show up, and they're very punctual normally to meetings. Tell me how the sh- morning of the 4th uh, shakes out.
0: So at 6.40 p.m., Nancy Kappelman, who was the Harbor master at Harbortown, uh, reported to the Beaufort County Sheriff's Department that her employers were missing. So Nancy became concerned after John did not show up for a meeting and just said this was not in his character. Uh, according to Nancy, he was a very punctual person. Uh, then Nancy notified Liz Calvert's brother David White uh, that they were missing and David checked their home and he notified law enforcement in Atlanta about them missing
1: yeah because they do have a home in Atlanta so that's that's where they checked
0: so both the harbor master and the brother told law enforcement that the Calverts were not the type of people to just to take off without notifying anybody
1: it was reported at six forty pm but that's not when they started looking around. They'd been looking around. No, all day. they were
0: supposed to have the, the the meeting in the morning, so they started, you know, becoming you know, coming concerned because again, they were just not like them not to show up for a meeting.
1: And remind me, they they went on their Calvert's boat, yacht, whatever, um, and they they saw the cat, but not the dog, right? And they thought that was interesting because the one woman was usually asked to take care of the cat, which was TC, stood for of the cat.
0: Yeah. What what, 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 I can't remember. Why did they call the cat TC?
1: The cat. TC. the, the, the cat. cat. Okay. I,
0: mean, I thought that was clever. <laughs> That's why I was throwing you off. And yeah. I was saying,
1: the cat. Yeah. Yeah. TC. So the next thing is the authorities find out that the Calverts had a meeting with Dennis Gerwing the previous evening. Explain what that meeting was about, Seton, what was going on there.
0: So they were scheduled to meet with Dennis Gerwig about some money that was missing, some financial improprieties. And Dennis was an employee of the club group, and this was a group that helped them manage their businesses. And Dennis was an accountant, so he was responsible for that area of it.
1: This meeting was not just to say, hey, how's it going, I don't think, right?
0: No, I think they were definitely going to meet with him about some concerns they had about missing money.
1: What uh, what's they they it came up like back in November, I believe.
0: Yes, yeah, so in November of 2007, employee of the Marina office Leslie Whitener says suspicions arose when there was an unpaid bill for 10,000 gallons of gasoline. And then in December of 27 of 2007, Liz tells a friend Ellie Titus that she was looking into some missing money.
1: Didn't they pull out too also at this point they're like okay, we're going to Take over because they were farming out stuff to the club group at that point. Now they're like, I'm, uh, yeah, now I'm, we're going to not farm this out anymore. But it hadn't been finalized yet.
0: No. So then in February, on February 26th of 2008, Dennis tells investigators he met with John to discuss a boat slip assessment that was unpaid. Dennis told John that he would look into the issue and speak to the controller. Then again, on February 24th, Liz continues to have questions, and they meet again. According to Dennis, he told Liz that he felt like the list of discrepancies were growing smaller. However, other accounts say the meeting was most likely more confrontational than Dennis reports. I mean, they were thinking there was $100,000 worth of missing money or money that was mismanaged, which, of course, we later find out the amount was much higher than that.
1: It seems like, and when we read the different accounts, that John and Dennis kind of got along, and Liz was more of a money person. It's like, hey, what's what's up with this? And she, I think he called her a viper. Or yeah,
0: and yeah, because he sends an email on February twenty eighth, where in that email he describes Liz as a viper, and that he's come out on top of the meeting. So, it obviously there seems to have been some sort of contention between. Liz and Dennis. Now
1: remember, that's February 28th with the Viper comment, and it is March 3rd, so that's only three days, whatever, that they have the meeting. Now let me tell you a little bit about Dennis Gerwing and what his story is, according to various reports, including the Island Packet. Gerwing was a fixture in the business community in the Hilton Head area since the 80s. He was vice president and controller for the Sea Pines Company. Pretty likable guy, some people say, but he did have a number of failed businesses. In 85, he was... Named head of the finance and administration division of Ginn Holdings Corporation. That was the island's largest resort and development company. And then that company unraveled. The club group then formed. And that's what Goering was part of that until his death. He was also president of Harbor Tours Limited, a company that incorporated in 94, went into forfeiture in 96. It was later dissolved. And he was also a registered agent for Lighthouse realtors starting in 94 people talk about his passion for hosting wine parties traveling the world he loved photography he photographed polar bears in canada village life in italy did a lot of cooking for friends okay so let's move in now you get the ad, the, the players you know about the Calverts. you know about dennis gerwing the authorities talked to dennis gerwing to get a statement since he appears to be the last person they can find who had seen the Calverts before the disappearance, which had been on the previous night, March 3rd. Let's talk about Dennis Gerwing's statement. See.
0: So Dennis says that John arrived around 6 o'clock without Liz, and Liz arrived about 15 minutes later at 6.15. They left around 6.30 because Liz said that they needed to go. So I, he doesn't really give too much information about what happened. He
1: says they left in the same car. Right.
0: Well, yeah, he, he he said... I think so. He said... Well, he says that he remained at the office at the club group for about 10 minutes after the Calverts left. And then he says when he exited through the f- stairs and entered the front parking lot that he noticed Liz, Liz's Minnie Cooper still there. So...
1: So the assumption was they went together. The assumption
0: was that they went together. He says that he took Business 278 towards Hilton Head Plantation, which is where he lived, instead of the quicker cross-island expressway. So if you're familiar with Hilton Head in any way, Business 278 used to be the only way in and out of the island. And it... There's a lot more traffic lights. There are businesses. It just takes longer. The Cross Island Expressway, if you're going from the south end to the north end of the island, is just a much quicker way to go. There's no um, lights lights and businesses Mm -hmm. to stop at. So he says in his statement that that's how he traveled home. He said he stopped to buy gas and lottery tickets. He went home. He ate dinner and drank some wine. And he told an investigator, because he had a cut on his hand, When the investigator asked him how he'd gotten the cut, he said he'd broken a bottle of wine.
1: Which was like on the the webbing between your thumb and your pointer finger.
0: Right. And he actually, this isn't in his police statement, but he does tell another friend named Peterson that he cut his hand Gardening. Yes, so, yeah, yes, he did say that.
1: Yes, yes, and that's because that's the guy at the restaurant. That's the Peterson. guy at the. Okay. Yes, he was okay. at the restaurant. Cool. That he told him that. Yeah.
0: Um, so he tells police that he returned to the club group at Cipon Center at 10 p.m. in his Toyota Avalon. I guess he had driven his Yukon earlier that day.
1: So he he didn't drive the the Avalon's new to the story. Like he left in a different vehicle.
0: Right. He left in his Yukon. He came he came back in the Toyota Avalon, and he says on the way. To the club group, he stops at the CVS on Pope Avenue to buy some Band-Aids for his cut hand. And he says he stayed at the club group until midnight, and then he took the Cross Island Expressway home. The next morning, he took the Yukon to a repair shop, and he took a taxi from the repair shop to his office, which was verified by taxi records. So... Then there were quickly some inconsistencies with his statement. So Dennis says that he went home by Business 278, but they have a video showing him going over the Cross Island Expressway.
1: And, and you being from there, that would make the most sense.
0: Right. That would make the most sense, especially if you're a local, you assume you probably get the Fast Pass, but you can always – it costs dollars. or two. Now, actually, this summer, they are taking the toll boost down. Oh, they are? Yeah, no, it just, it just was it was funny. When we were there, we came in – First way in, we had to pay our. I think it's a dollar twenty-five. And on the way out, they, were they weren't there anymore. Oh, of course, wow. my son but so got he a ticket going over that <laughs> because <laughs> during the time the toll was still there, and yeah. we had he had to pay that. So also there was some, a video receipt showing him purchasing some band aids before getting on the Cross Island Expressway. It says seven twenty-eight p.m. there were some there was a video of him purchasing some band-aids at the cvs and then he goes back a few minutes later and he purchases some disposable gloves with cash and, really
1: weird now. right we and he buy disposable gloves
0: right and this was actually he said that he went by the cvs for his cut hand after he had had dinner when he cut his hand on the wine bottle and not
1: oh this is before he went home yeah this is yeah. before
0: he went home and the yeah. and, you know, he says in his statements to police that he went home. You know, cut, cut his himself. hand, and on his way back to the club, group is when he stopped by CVS. But he actually stopped by CVS,
1: which would have been before he technically, like he said, he cut it.
0: Cut it, right. right? So that was that was definitely suspicious. That was inconsistency. He also turned off his cell phone for what eleven hours. 11 12, yeah, they yeah. show they have video of him talking on his cell phone when he's entering the CV, CVS, but mm-hmm. then he powered his cell phone off for at least eleven hours.
1: He also stopped – when was the – when he stopped for the gas and the lottery ticket? Because that's weird to me that he bought a lottery ticket. That is just so odd to well, me.
0: Well, yeah, but if I he, mean it is. But then I I've thought – I've thought a lot about this. But he also apparently liked gambling. I mean he yeah. had a history of going to lots of casinos and stuff like that. So maybe he was just somebody
1: – Right. I don't know. I have
0: family members who buy weekly but if lottery really, tickets. But I, so
1: Okay, but if what comes into play here is true about his – Involvement in this, getting a lottery ticket, it seems weird.
0: I mean, I know. Maybe he was thinking, oh, maybe I can win it
1: and... And, disappear or something. Disappear.
0: And also, like, he purchased these drop cloths from the hardware store.
1: That was uh, the same day they went missing, March 3rd. Uh, His assistant was running around with him doing these errands, and one of the things was he bought these three drop cloths, as you mentioned. Also, uh, he had his assistant drop off his Toyota Avalon, at private airport parking lot on Hilton Head Island. And so this was a whole weird thing earlier in the day. That was like 4.20 when he bought the drop cloths. The meeting, as we said, was at 7. And we know that we eventually find out that the Calvert's phones turned off sometime around 5.35 or something like that. The drop cloths thing is weird. The, The buying the... Latex gloves at CVS is weird. Right,
0: and he wasn't doing any sort of, no one could find a project. He wasn't painting anything where he would have needed drop cloths or latex gloves, nothing like that. That's what he told his
1: assistant. He said he was going to do some painting and that's why we need to get these drop cloths. Now, this is going on with Gerwing and they're starting to figure out that there's some inconsistencies there. The Buford County Sheriff's Department is handling this. They eventually bring in Sled and some others. But then this thing happens, which is crazy. I saw this in the TV show, the documentary, that the sheriff and some others they get all excited because they find out that the Calverts had a plane at Hilton Head Airport. So they go there. The plane's there. But then they get a hit that John Calvert was flying to Tulsa, Oklahoma, alone. And so, hey, oh, this is crazy. There's no... Tie-ins to Calvert and Tulsa. The wife's not with him. Here we go. This is your typical husband takes out the wife kind of thing. Bing, bang, boom. They find out. They go to have the people go to see this John Calvert. And he's like, what are you talking about? Turns out two people, same name, fly <laughs> to Tulsa. Or, you know, the John Calvert that flew to Tulsa was not the same Calvert. So they're back to looking at Dennis Gerwing again. And then another weird thing happens. This is when we hear a story from a woman who comes in and says her boyfriend killed the Calverts,
0: yeah, she was married to um, I think someone in the military service, and so but she was having a relationship with this person.
1: The cops are like, really? You you know the person? Yeah, he's a hitman. He buried the body on his on his yard with a bulldozer or something. They're like, all right, let's set up a sting. So they go to this whole thing. We go to this restaurant. They have her wired. They have the conversation? And she's like, oh, yeah, tell me how you did it and whatever. And the guy's talking like, oh, yeah, you know, we just rode around in my boat. And we looked at their house. And now they're like, wait a minute. They don't have a house. The don't have a house. so They're starting to think something's weird, but they got to follow through. So they pull the guy in for questioning. And the guy's like, man, it's just role playing. Uh, it's just a role playing, like, kinky little thing that we do, man. We, <laughs>
0: we... Well, the <laughs> interesting thing was they both passed lie detector tests. Yes. So she truly believed it. And he was, you know believing that I, right. I have nothing to do with this. This is just this role-playing thing. So it's yes. interesting that they both pass lie detector tests with right. completely different stories. It's
1: crazy. Imagine how you are if you're the investigators, and one minute you got this, all right, we got John Calvert on a flight. Next thing you know, we've got this girlfriend who says this guy uh, is a hired assassin, and they go there, and of course, they search the whole property with due diligence, and there was nothing on this guy's property. He were just making it up to impress her or role play or whatever they were doing. There's some other weird things that pop up. Let's talk about Dennis Gerwing's relationships with Quotey Fingers, I guess. What do we have on that?
0: Well, so first he had a girlfriend of 22 years. Her name was Nancy Berry, um, and she actually lived in a million-dollar-plus home in Columbia, South Carolina. They had been estranged for a few years before his death, but she still lived in this house, and he still helped pay the bills. Um, Mm -hmm. And she actually... I've still communicated with him. She last heard from him on March 10th to basically tell her he wouldn't be over to help her. I guess they were going to try to sell the Columbia House. So she wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to be there because obviously there was a lot of legal stuff coming his way. So he needed to stay in Hilton Head. But Um, he did put
1: it on the market for 1.2 mil and a real estate agent, Maria Fernandez, said that he had become motivated to sell within the last six weeks. And he also had decided that he was not going to retire to uh, Columbia, which he had thought at one point.
0: Right. And he actually named his boat that he had purchased. Dennis named his boat after her, which was named Big Girl, which I thought that's also strange. Uh, (laughs) Please don't ever refer to me as Big Girl.
1: (laughs) Uh, So now we find out about, or at some point they find out about Dennis Gerwing has some crazy relationship stuff going on once he gets away from. Nancy Barry,
0: Right. So he has a relationship with this woman named Laura Merrill. Um, and she gives an interview to Beaufort County Sheriff's Department on March 11th of 2008. And her husband is present during this interview. Um, she tells the sheriff's office that she was working at a gentleman's club called the Diamond Club in Hilton Head. Uh, so she tells the officers in this interview that she had an arrangement with Dennis with her husband, and that he would pay, Dennis, would pay for her to spend time with him. Um, she advised the officers that she went on trips together with Dennis, and he would pay her for her time for being away from the family. And I mean, I guess her husband was aware of this. He so must
1: be. He's sitting right there.
0: Yes, yeah, this is very unusual.
1: And I think, didn't Dennis' brother later on, you know, say he knew about that? He, he did.
0: Thought it, he I thought think it was weird, other people knew about it. It seemed like it, it was known by 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 people and thought it was strange. Um, But on the night that the Calverts went missing, she was also a student at the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is called SCAD, and she had used her student ID to enter the college at 4.55 p.m., and she did not arrive home till 9.30. She did not take a polygraph, but her husband did, and he passed the polygraph. And
1: her alibi is stone cold, right.
0: Right. Um, So then there was this other woman. Her name was Anya Bateva. I don't know if that's... I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, She was a Russian dancer at the Diamond Club, and she met Dennis through Laura Merrill. And she was actually deported back to Russia after her husband failed to follow through on citizenship papers.
1: So she gets married to this guy, and then he's called out on it, and he doesn't say, hey, we're married. He doesn't save her. Yeah,
0: so she gets deported back. But I think Dennis was still in communication with her, and there seemed to be some sort of jealousy... From Laura Merrill's part about this Anya, so because
1: Dennis is big time giving her like helping her out and giving her money and stuff like that. Yes. Yes.
0: And she was in school, and he was helping her with her studies. Goes to school in Russia
1: when she gets to Russia. Doesn't he go visit her? Yeah, I think so. It was uh,
0: anyway. This is very. And he
1: goes into uh, the husband that was married to her, but didn't step up when she was about to be deported they were married for less than a year he owned a taxi cab company or something and the story is he goes in there and has a buddy come to strong arm the the husband because there's twenty thousand dollars under a bed and he goes and gets it and dennis's brother eventually says i got the receipt shows that he didn't m- mail it to her and in bulgaria or somewhere and so it's just a really twisted like crazy world this this Dennis Gerwig is is like this. He's a chubby dude who five is drinking wine. Like he get yeah, five eight. He's just like the fancy schmancy wine drinking guy, and yet he's got this
0: accountant.
1: Accountant. Yes, he's got this crazy world going on. He's at the strip club, I guess a lot, the Diamond Club.
0: Right, and these are not things you think of when you think of Hilton Head.
1: I didn't even know there was a strip club there, and I've been there and. Um, you would think that's something I'd be aware of. <laughs> well, actually, I did see a sign. <laughs> a friend of mine went there. Okay, he was kidding who. Um, so yeah. So that it's just it's just an odd side note to it. And there's a whole bunch of well like hints at Russian cars being sold and things like that. And so it's 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 nuts. But we digress. That's all going on. Now I want to circle back a little bit to the Calvert's. And they're meeting with Gerwing at the Seapine Center. Meeting's at 6, as I said. Their phones are off at 535 or whatever it is. And you are familiar with Seapine Center. So give me a little bit of a, a vibe of what the place like. And again, it's off-season. It's in March. But the, the, the his office, Gerwing's office, where they would have met, is on the second floor, right?
0: Right. So Sea Pond Center is about a mile away from Harbor Town, kind of towards the Beach Club area. Um, it's also a stop on the trolley, so you can get off there. It has a couple of longtime restaurants, Giuseppe's Pizza, which is delicious, and Truffle's Restaurant, which is also a great place, along with a really nice jewelry store. Um, they've been there for years, and it's the home of the fitness center. But the fitness center back when I was a kid for, briefly was a grocery store, and it didn't. I think it just didn't make it. So now it's the fitness center for the Sea Ponds uh, Resort. Um First level is just retail and restaurants. The second level is office space. There are stairs to the second level, and there's also an elevator.
1: My question, okay, is residential area right near, like where would, if something happens there, gunshots, uh, whatever, how close are residential areas?
0: I mean, there are, right across the street is Swallowtail, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is like a villa complex. And there are villa complexes near... Um, I would think that you would be able to hear something from that area, but...
1: And also the restaurants are there and they're open, even though it's off-season, they're open. They're open. I think they
0: said Truffles closed at 10 the evening, the Calverts went missing.
1: Right. So, okay, now that we know that that meeting was there and giving you a vibe for that, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, vehicles. Um, John's vehicle that he drove the Gerwing meeting was the Mercedes, right? And Liz drove in the Mini Cooper. Dennis says, well, he just, the assumption is made that they drove together because her, Liz's Mini Cooper was there when he left, but John's car was gone. Um, now the, the law enforcement says they get excited because another exciting moment for them because they think the GPS, they find out that kind of car is a GPS. again on it. It was not on. Uh, so now they got to find it. And they found it at the Marriott, which is how far from... Dennis's office. Th-
0: that's about six miles in Palmetto Dunes, so not a walkable distance, I wouldn't think, in at that time of night. And you would have to walk down 278. So it's like very if, interesting how that car got to the Marriott.
1: Yeah, and and they they check and see, and the cowards aren't check they they aren't registered there. There's no video on the property. Uh, they mentioned that if they had, they don't buy that they drove together because on. The passenger seat is some coffee cups, some papers, like no one would have sat on that, they think. so they the law enforcement says, I, we, we, I don't buy this that they rode together and why is this here? because John Calvert had no reason, neither of them had a reason to be at the Marriott.
0: Well and Liz's car was found in a parking lot her Mini Cooper was found in a parking lot in Harbortown, which is only a mile away, but you know, Dennis reports that the her car was at the Seapon Center when he, when he left. left
1: so it had to get moved there at some point now we also want to talk about another vehicle which is dennis's vehicle we find out that dennis's assistant remember the story about him driving him around and they got the uh, the tarps and they also did she the assistant helped dennis with his avalon
0: right she followed him to the airport and dropped the Avalon off because he was having people come in later and that way they would have a
1: car. But that was never verified that anybody was coming in. No. And the Avalon is the car that he eventually drives (laughs) that night. Yeah, it's weird. It's very strange. Um, So now they've got so much stuff that is enough to get a warrant to search Dennis Gerwig's place. Let's go to the warrant and what they find at Dennis's place. Dennis is making comments to people that he is starting to get uh, worried that they're coming after him. But what do they find at Dennis's place in Hilton Head?
0: Well, they don't find any forensic evidence, and they also didn't find any forensic evidence in any of the vehicles. So right. we, we should mention that first. Oh, yes,
1: true, true. In fact, they, they, they saw something that looked like it might be blood or something, but it came back as nothing. Yeah, like, so nothing. nothing. Clean.
0: And no fingerprints, nothing. So. There was there was nothing that came out from looking at the cars. or the office or the office
1: where they met uh, where they met the uh, girl we met them
0: right so they a couple of things that were interesting to me from the search of Dennis's house first they found a shovel that was wet with mud and some dirt on his floor and Dennis was reportedly like a very neat freak he, that that would be unusual they asked him about the shovel. And he said that he had been working on trying to fix some irrigation, but they couldn't find any evidence of anything that he was working on.
1: Nothing, dig no holes, no right. digging. Yeah.
0: Um, they also didn't find any broken glass. Remember, he said he cut his his hand on the wine bottle, but there was no evidence of broken glass anywhere or any blood in the kitchen. He said that that had happened in the kitchen. Another thing that they found was a gun holster,
1: but but empty. no gun. Right, and which led them to start thinking about. The kind of type of injury that Dennis had was one that they believed was consistent with somebody who had fired a Beretta or a handgun of some sort, where you you would get the kick the uh, uh, the the recoil thing might, yeah might cut you right there. So that they started to think something's adding up here because you had an empty holster. Come on, Dennis, get rid of the empty holster. Uh, this is when, by the way, a name you're familiar with, Corey Fleming. He enters the picture as Dennis Gerwing's defense attorney. Remember, he's Alex Murdoch's best buddy from college. developed the whole Satterfield case. So he's, and he tells Dennis, "Don't talk to anybody anymore." Tells the cops because he's a defense attorney. So tells the police, "Don't talk to Dennis anymore." So they do not talk to him from this point forward. And so we go to Tuesday the eleventh. This is now. Remember the third was when. Gerwing and the Calverts met, the fourth they declared missing, is now the 11th. And Dennis Gerwing is about to be named a person of interest. The Next morning, Beaufort County sheriffs are going to have a news conference at 11 a.m. and name him as a person of interest. They don't get a chance to do that. In the meantime, there's also a candlelight vigil on Tuesday night in Harbortown for the Calverts. But in the meantime, later or earlier in that afternoon, we find out that Gerwing's attorneys, Dennis Gerwing, the accountant, the guy who was presumably taking money from the Calverts and last pregnancy Calverts alive, along with the club group president, Mark King, couldn't get in touch with them. So they alert the deputies, Hilton uh, Head Island Fire Department, the fire department, then breaks into the villa.
0: Right. So wait, let's describe why he was at the villa. So he was staying at a property that was owned by the club group, which was right across the street from Seapon Center called um, Swallowtail. So that was a villa center and he was staying there because they had done the search of his home and it was a wreck. There was luminol all, all over everything. And Dennis, being a very neat freak, did not like this, so he had decided that he was going to go stay at Swallowtail until his house was cleaned up.
1: Exactly. That's why he's there. So the fire department breaks into his villa and forced open the upstairs bathroom door. Entering room, they find Gerwing covered in blood, lying nude atop a comforter in the bathtub. Now, according to investigators, this is crazy... Way to die by suicide, and I wanted to do the best I could by giving you what exactly it says in deceit, disappearance, and death. I think rather than even paraphrase, I should tell you what what's happening here. And this is happening about about four o'clock, three fifty-eight or something like that. Um, the bathtub contained no water. Dennis's head was near the faucet. Okay, think about how somebody might sit in a bathtub it would you wouldn't put your head at the faucet and against Dennis's body or under his body was a comforter and some pillows. And there's a serrated knife with a black handle that was found near his right hip. And both the girl wings legs were bent at the knees. Cause it's not a very big bathtub. Legs splayed laterally over the end of the tub. There's blood. And I saw some of the pictures. There's a lot of blood. I think some don't think it's that much, but I think it was pretty gruesome. Uh, Gerwing has multiple ragged, large wounds. Here we go. This is from the the book. Blood had poured from his right inner thigh where a deep and vicious, about four inch long, horizontal cut had been inflicted. Two wounds to the back and inside of his left wrist, each measuring 2.3 or so inches in length where a knife cut into his body. His right inner calf featured a cut of almost two inches length. His left lower lateral neck had a deep gash five inches long. It appeared as though his throat had been violently slashed. His right lower lateral neck bled profusely from a long and deep cut that was about six and a half inches in length. All these cuts, Dennis cut time and time and time again. Blood throughout the bathroom, the tub is stained, the floor, the sink, walls, uh, red sprayed everywhere. Uh, barefoot bloodstain impressions on the floor, seven, eight footprints with no visible arch, similar size around the bathtub. It's insane how much blood and how many times he was stabbed. Uh, Gerwing's head uh, right near the top of the tub, your Gerwing's head upward over a large picture, continuing further upward toward his deceased uh, deceased feet was his giant uh, wrist or uh, like, spray of of blood it was absolutely insane and when they rule this they say that Dennis stabbed himself to death yeah he stabbed himself this many times he over and over and over again so I know what you're thinking you're thinking okay he was hammered or under a lot of drugs he he, he he wasn't he
0: he wasn't but he did take uh, according to the pathology report at least fifteen or fifteen to twenty Benadryls, right? Which could, I guess, make you loopy, or maybe that would make or you or not knock feel you out, but, knock you out.
1: But I mean, it's just I, again, so and that's I, almost know.
0: enough to kill somebody. But I mean, he didn't die from that; he died from loss of blood.
1: And he's walking around. It appears stabbing walking around, her, stabbing, her, stabbing himself. himself numerous times, and it it's so well bizarre
0: i mean he did have heat on him with this investigation into the calvert's death oh yes but then it, a lot of people say that he was not someone that they thought was likely to kill himself he just wasn't that type of person well,
1: he bought a lottery ticket but you know you never know about people yeah you when just their back know. is up against the wall you don't know so they ruled it that they, there was a, a prescription bottle bottle was empty uh there was a note. There was two notes, actually.
0: Yeah, the one, I mean, it was very strange. One was written on a bed sheet,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh,
0: I, f- I thought was strange.
1: The the, the coroner, uh, Kirk Copeland sent his deputy, to Alan to the scene, and he recorded all the critical uh, things, took pictures, et cetera, uh, and took the body to the morgue, and they, they moved it out really quickly.
0: And they cleaned it up very quickly.
1: Because the next day, people go in, and it's clean. Yeah, Reporters, I the think.
0: reporters went in the next day, but they. Well, some of the things I thought was, you know, obviously we need to mention. They said there was nothing was stolen. There was no signs of forced entry. Um, another thing is there was no blood outside of the bathroom.
1: Right, and it was locked from the inside.
0: Yes. Now,
1: so, the we should get to the note.
0: Yeah, the let's talk about the note.
1: note. The note the Dennis Gerwing, the accountant, left.
0: So in the note, he asked. He says. One of the questions he answers, where's the money? And he says the simple answer is it's gone. And he talks about some losses on this glow, which is assumed to be a security in which he invested. Uh, talks about the Columbia House, uh, a restaurant that he had invested in in Savannah called the Mardi Gras, um, his lifestyle, you know, his boat.
1: And he adds a P.S. I have acted completely alone in all actions committed. I knew the risk of this happening and believe taking myself out of the game it's the best way to make, or best way to move everyone as quickly as possible past all events. All anger should be directed toward me. Burn my body and dispose without service. It happened in SPC, which is Sea Pine Center. Nothing happened at the bent tree house.
0: So he alludes to the fact that maybe something happened, but he never says that he was killed. The Calverts. He says something happened at Sea Pine Center. Nothing happened at the house. But you could possibly think that that was something related to the the, the, mur- the yes. disappearance of the Calverts.
1: The disappearance because some people were like, well, he didn't, why wouldn't he say that he did that? Uh, they, you know, murdered them and got rid of them. But also he didn't say he didn't either. Yeah. And you think he, if you if didn't and you were being accused of it, you might want to do that.
0: Take the chance to, to say that. Also, and, uh, what did it, Yeah, what did the note say on the bed sheet?
1: It was, uh, by the way, it was a fitted sheet. It wrote in blue ink, I believe. And it was kind of hard to read because he was, doing all this Benadryl probably. Uh, But some of it is a slow way. It's my wanting my body to wake up three and a half hours. Jerk brain keeps flashing with a flash, the flash of a memory of old event, bright like a computer photo type flash going off. Uh, In both these notes, there was misspellings and kind of ramblings. And that is what we know about those notes. It, you know, his brother said he didn't seem suicidal, but he did call a doctor and Well his doctor said, you know, do you want some Xanax? And he said, No, nah, I don't need any Xanax. Well, so
0: it's also interesting to note that the person who performed the autopsy was Dr. Aaron Presnell at MUSC in Charleston. And this was the same person who performed the autopsy on Stephen Smith.
1: Uh, yes. And I wanted to I'll go back well just for a moment to the Candlelight vigil for the Calverts that night. The reporters are there, and they talk about how all of a sudden the reporters start disappearing from the the vigil because they find out that there is a body. And how far is that from where the vigil was? Only a mile. Okay, so they just go over there, and that's when they learned about Dennis Gerwing. Uh, the
0: well, there was body an, and-, and there was a note on one of the reporters' car, yes. which was it, it turned out to be a, a lot of nothing. Someone hinted at the fact that there's more people involved than just Dennis Gerwig. Dig deeper,
1: I think it said. Yeah,
0: dig deeper. So, and then they found out that this person was just wanting them to investigate further.
1: And a lot of people do. A lot of people did. Uh, There's some questions now that we want to talk about a little bit. One is, there's a gambling thing that is mentioned uh, in the book. Apparently, Dennis Gerwig went to a lot of these casinos, rubber casinos, and Flew around to go into casinos. We know
0: he's buying lottery tickets. We do
1: know he's lottery, but yes, I guess he took a lot of trips to casinos. Uh, we do know eventually that the money comes out to what two point one mil or something like that. Yes. Uh, eventually, they find out two point one mil, and most of those people have been made whole by the club Grape uh, Yes, King. And so the credit to them for doing that. And Dennis's brother gave. Dennis's brother gave all of Dennis's. Whatever money he had left, which wasn't a ton, but gave it all to the people who had been ripped off, making people
0: whole. Yes, well, and there, there was a rumor, which was never substantiated, the two reporters working for the Island Packet had heard rumors about this gambling house in Wexford Plantation, which is a very high end plantation. Actually, Michael Jordan lived there at one point for about ten years, I think nineteen ninety eight through or nineteen eighty eight through nineteen. Ninety eight. Um, so it's a very nice plantation, but they couldn't really find any evidence of this gambling club. But I thought that that was kind of interesting. But
1: yeah, the dentist was a big part of that. If it, and then they couldn't find that it existed. One of those small town rumor type things, maybe. Um, also, there was the question of how. Let's oh, the Beretta comes back in. Let me go to that first. The, they found the holster, remember? We told you about that. But they find out that it was a Beretta that was in there because the woman who gave it to Dennis Gerwig comes forward.
0: Well, there's no. it's not substantiated for sure that this was the gun, but Leslie Crick, who was a longtime friend of Dennis's, uh, she had had this Beretta that was her grandfather's. And so when she was moving from Colorado to Hilton Head, she took the gun with her for safety. Um, and it was didn't have, it was an antique gun. It did not have any sort of serial number or anything like that. Well, then she had young children, and she just wasn't comfortable having the gun in the house anymore. So she gave the gun to Dennis, and Dennis said, well, he might know somebody in Columbia who dealt with antique guns who might be interested. So she never really thought anything about it until she saw the holster. Right. And, you know, alerted police about this gun that she had Beretta given 22. to— Yes, that she had given to I Well, the, th- the
1: thing is about that Beretta, because the question comes, let's say, as the theory goes, he killed the Calverts and got rid of their bodies, so he would have had to have shot them in the office with the Beretta, and people say the important thing about that is those Berettas, the 22s, do not— cause a lot of blood spray. And I was told by a guy just before I came in here that at 22, he would have to basically put it right up to their temple. You can't shoot from any kind of distance. Okay. To kill them. Uh, and we know we had drop claws. We know that for a fact, which were big enough to hold the bodies. Right.
0: And were never found.
1: And were never found. And Dennis or uh, John Calvert was, I think, five, eight, one fifty, something like that.
0: And she was also a small person. I think five four.
1: Right, but Dennis isn't. A, I mean, he's a, a chubby guy. He's out of shape. He's got a big gut on him, and he's what five. He's small, right?
0: He's not right. So, could he have done this by himself? He's I mean, that's two a question bodies. that a lot of people have had, and including all, all, us. I mean, what is it possible there was an elevator, but you know, there was no forensic evidence found at the Stepan Center at the Club Group offices. So. There's a lack of physical evidence, which I guess, you know, makes sense with the bread. If a bread was used, that there wouldn't be a lot of blood spatter. But could one person have done this? And also we have the cars being left at different locations. It seems like a lot for one person to do.
1: But when you were back is against the wall, and you you, you could be a surprise probably, as the, the sheriffs and such said in the book in an island packet, your adrenaline gets going, uh, but still you got to wrap them up. You've got enough. We know that they definitely had enough to wrap them up and drag them down to the elevator. Take it down and then lift them up into which car do we think they took them in? One of the SUVs. So he's got to one of the. So you got to lift them up and put them in the SUV, both of them. Then you got to drive somewhere, pull them out of the SUV, and throw them into. And there's tons of area around there where you and could.
0: And all of this them. happening in an area that I know it could be the middle of the night and it's off season, but it's still a residential area.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I mean, once you put the bodies in a car, I mean, no one can see anything, and then you pull off into some crazy place. So, th- th- I, I've never tried to move a 150-pound dead body, so I don't know what it's like. <laughs> it, it seems like it would be awkward.
0: It seems to, like it would be hard.
1: But, apparently, they, they did it. Uh, I mean, they, apparently, according to the sheriffs, that's what happened. And, you know, the bodies have never been found. The
0: Well, it's still a cold case. I mean, it's, it's, still, still, yeah, it's, still, uh, open. it's still open. And, and, but they have been, you know, legally ruled deceased.
1: Yes, yes, and somebody said well, they sh- they had to if he's going to feed him to the alligators he should have had to have unwrapped him. Uh, somebody was saying that they couldn't. And eat they the did.
0: Plastic. They the, the the police to their credit they searched you know they they took they searched different landfills you know not even in they I think they searched one in Georgia yeah they, yeah, they did yeah you know yeah. they searched the Cipans sea Forest Preserve they searched lagoons and they said actually in the book that. You would be able to smell, even if it was in a lagoon, a trained dog would be able to smell, even if the body was in the lagoon.
1: So it it still is somewhat of a mystery. The Sheriff's Department has been pretty open with talking to people about this. They are... Pretty much, I mean, it is a cold case. It's still open. And they did open it up and look at some things uh, again, but... Well, the, and there was
0: the st- one thing I want to point out, I know, before we end, because I thought this was also really interesting. The two reporters from Island Packet talk about this mysterious boat. So there was a oh, captain... yeah, the mysterious boat. Yeah. yeah. So there was a captain, Ray Morris, and he ran the ferry from Defusky Island, which is only accessible by boat to Hilton Head and he worked the night shift. And so he had gone to fuel up in Harbor Town at 3.30 and he noticed that there was another boat at the fuel dock that he didn't recognize. And I think, you know, he being on the water, he, he recognized most people with boats. Right. Um, he waves at them, they don't wave back. Um, and he says, it's very unusual that you would go out into the intercoastal after dark, especially if you are not familiar with those waters, and he did come back at five thirty a.m. because he had a passenger that he was dropping off for the airport, um, and the boat was gone. So
1: the mystery boat. The mystery boat. It's uh, and everybody, that, you know, the people that knew Dennis Gurwing, and I guess nobody ever expects somebody to be a murderer that they know, or even suicidal sometimes. But the thought, like, it's hard for us to wrap our head around, even if you're. In debt, like you, you've absconded with a couple million dollars to be able to point blank kill two people, one of which was your friend. By all accounts, they hung out, John and Dennis, like went to dinner a lot and stuff together.
0: Well, and he didn't have any sort of criminal history.
1: Yes, but I guess who knows about people, right? To just still, it's a it's a crazy story. I feel for the the family of the Calverts who, since '08, have not been able to put to rest where the bodies are. or Yeah, kind of I think
0: up. that that would be just a horrible thing to not know.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you uh for hanging out with us. It's always cool and always grateful, and Murdoch Podcast, and we'll put up the book and you'll be able to go there and, and, and get the details on deceit, disappearance, and death, and the, the great work done by the Islet Packet Reporters. Uh We will talk to you again. You can go to murdockpodcast.com as well, and we will talk soon. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis, introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in depth look at the seemingly unconnected events